First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 through 6. Moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Now I want to read it to you from the New Living Translation, and again on the screen. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from that spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened as a warning to us, so that we would not crave evil things as they did. Verse 6, let me read it again. These things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. In the earliest days of the 20th century, 1906 to be exact, there was an outpouring of God's Spirit that came to be known as the Azusa Street Revival. This revival was marked by tremendous signs and wonders, and it was accompanied by a phenomenon called speaking in other tongues. We see that in Acts chapter 2. But it was a revival that touched the known world of its day. This revival gave birth to what has come to be known as the Pentecostal movement. God poured out his spirit in a very humble little mission there in Azusa Street that touched and, some, and continues to touch the world through the Holy Spirit even today. Acts chapter 2 verse 17 says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Our church here at South Greenwood was born in the fire of revival. God established this church here in this community to be a spirit-filled witness to a lost and a dying generation. We cannot today finish the work of God in the power of the flesh, but we must finish the work of getting this world ready for the greatest event on God's time calendar, and that is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have a lot of work to do because the time is much shorter than it has been. A hundred and two years ago when this church was given birth to by the Spirit of God, they were over a hundred years away from the coming of the Lord, but I don't think we have a hundred years in front of us. I believe Jesus could come at any moment. So we have a lot of work to do to get this world ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Again in Mark chapter 16 verses 15 through 18, And he said to them, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow them that believe. Notice that. These signs will follow them that believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. He says they will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I don't believe that's changed. How about you? 
We were born in a Holy Ghost revival, yet I'm afraid that we've been living in a wilderness. And my prayer today is that God will bring us out of every barren wilderness place and bring us into our promised inheritance. There were four devastating sins that plagued Israel in the wilderness. Our text says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. God has a wonderful destiny for each of us individually and for this church body corporately. How many of you want to realize the complete prophetic destiny that God has for your life? Do you want to break out of wilderness living and inherit the land that God has for you? Too many of God's people live in a wilderness setting. There are too many in our ranks living in bondage. What is it that holds you in bondage today? What is it that keeps you chained today? Is it fear? For I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Is it a besetting sin, some recurring besetting sin in your life? I've got good news for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Jesus didn't come and die for you to live in bondage. Jesus came and died so you could live in freedom. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. See, the Lord desires for us to experience the rich freedom that is available to us through His grace. Moses led approximately 3 million people out of Egypt, but only three entered the promised land. Think about that. Three million people and only three of the adults entered the promised land. They were Joshua and Caleb and the bones of Joseph. Two were alive, one was dead. You remember Joseph gave instructions in his will. One day you're going to depart from him and go back to the place that God has promised to our fathers. And when you do, dig up my bones and take my bones back with you. And you can go to Joseph's burial place even to this day because his bones are there. That's not a pretty good number that that few got into the promised land out of so many. I want you to think about that. I don't know about you, but I don't want to settle for anything less than God's very best in my life. So I want you to notice these four areas there on the screen of disobedience in the wilderness. First of all is complaining. The second is carnality. How many of you have ever looked in the mirror and seen a carnal person? The third is rebellion. The Bible says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Witchcraft involves manipulation, domination, control. Rebellion is you saying to God, I can do it better than you can. I don't have to bow to your word because I'm smarter than you are. That's what rebellion is. And the fourth is unbelief. Unbelief is different than doubt. Unbelief takes doubt to school and doubt graduates. To unbelieve something means that I may have believed it in the past, but now I don't believe it any longer. So let's talk about two of these areas. The chains that bind us need to be broken. We must be willing to allow God to break every chain in our lives so that we can receive the greater anointing that he has for us. A number of years ago, we used to sing a little chorus, and you've heard me quote it before. It's simply entitled, Jesus Breaks Every Fetter. Look at, listen to the words of it. I am now on the altar. Listen, if each of us today, beginning with me, would get, lay ourselves on this altar as a total, complete sacrifice to God, he would break every fetter, every chain in our life, and we would leave here so much different than we came. Our lives would be radically transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus breaks every fetter, and he sets me free. Verse 2 says, I will never doubt my Savior. I will never doubt my Savior, for he cleanses me. Jesus breaks every fetter. Jesus breaks every fetter, and he sets me free. What does God desire for us today as the people of God? He desires to lift us up onto a higher plane. The question before us today is, do we want to go to a higher level? 
Do we want more of God's presence? Israel missed God's best and many of them died in the wilderness. We cannot, we must not repeat the mistakes of the children of Israel if we're going to possess our promised inheritance. So let's talk about the first two of these things. First of all, they had the sin of complaining. The sin of complaining. Now I'm an American. I'm a citizen of this great country. I have an American passport. I'll use it next week when I go to Belize and then I'll use it when I get back. There's no other nation on earth like this nation. I know they're trying to turn it into something that it's not and that God didn't intend for it to be. And we need to pray. We need to fight for our nation. Can you say amen? But somewhere in the Constitution, it says that as Americans, we have the right to complain. It really don't. And we have been spoiled. Our nation is prosperous probably beyond any society in history. And we're accustomed to having our own way. And like Israel of old, at times we develop what I like to call a spirit of complaint. In Exodus 15, 24, the children of Israel complained because of a lack of water. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 2, they complained against Moses and Aaron because of a lack of food. In Numbers 14, 2, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. Or if only we had died in this wilderness. They murmured and they complained against God when they failed to trust him. When they heard the evil report of the spies that the land was walled up to heaven and that they were giants in the land, their reaction was to complain against Moses and Aaron. Our tendency today is to murmur and complain when times are tough and things don't go our way. Murmuring and complaining show a lack of faith and trust in the promises of God. My wife, my beautiful, talented wife, has taught me something and continually reminds me, and it's simply this, judge God faithful. In the hard times, in the difficult times, in the bleak times, in the times when it don't look like God is anywhere near, judge God faithful. When it's going good, when things are not going so good, judge God faithful. What do you do in the wilderness when you're tempted to murmur and complain? What do you do when times are hard and you just want to complain about it? You just want to murmur about it? I'll tell you what you do. You judge God faithful. Hallelujah. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, it says, Nor complain, as some of them also complain, and they were destroyed by the destroyer. One source defines murmuring as a sullen dissatisfaction with things. The Greek word translated complain means to grumble, to mutter, to say something in a low tone. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 1, the Hebrew word means to mourn. It means to be obstinate or to complain. My mother used to have a saying, she says, you're going to do that, and you're going to do it with a smile on your face. I remember one time my brother was just a little guy, and she'd always buy us raincoats, you know. She was telling him something one day, and he just looked up at her and told her, said, you may be the boss of me, but you're not the boss of my raincoat. <laughs> In Numbers chapter 11, verse 1, the Hebrew word there means to mourn. It means to be obstinate or to complain. And then the Bible speaks about this mixed multitude. They lived on the fringes or the extremities of the camp, which represent being far from the presence of God. And the tribe of Judah, which means praise, they camped on the east side of the tabernacle, which was right by the gate. You'll see it there. Right going into the gate there, you see Judah's right by the gate. And Judah means praise. You see, the Bible says in Psalms 150 verse 6, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Let everything that have breath give praise to God. God calls us to be praisers. 
We're called to be praisers instead of complainers. When we praise, we will enjoy his presence. But when we complain, we will ignite the fires of God's judgment. When Israel complained, God sent fiery judgment and consumed some on the very outskirts of the camp. And the name of the place became Tibera, which means burning. In John 6, 43, Jesus answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. God is calling his church to rise above complaining and murmuring. He's calling us to learn to praise him with a spirit of thanksgiving. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, Rejoice always. Didn't say rejoice when everything's going your way. Rejoice always. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, in everything. Everybody say everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Think about that. We don't hear that scripture preached very often. We try to preach uplifting and upbeat sermons. Today, we've almost reduced the gospel down to a get-rich-quick and a self-help thing. And, but listen to me, folks. If we're not careful, we can become carnally-minded and allow complaining and murmuring to creep into our lives. And it's a failure and a lack of trust. Listen, if you live by faith, that faith is going to be tested by fire. And what did James write? He said, count it all joy. Count it all joy when you get the bad report. If you live long enough, you're going to get the bad report. I know today a lot of churches don't want preachers to teach them the truth, but I'm going to teach you the truth. And listen to me, your, your trials are going to be by fire and your faith is going to be tested and it's going to have to come out as pure gold. That means that you're going to have bad times and hardships and difficulties at times that come your way and you're going to have to stand in faith and believe God and learn how to praise him. See, anybody can praise him when the praise and worship's flowing. Anybody can praise him when you have professional singers and those to lead us. Anybody can praise him when the bills are paid and there's money in the bank and and you're healthy and there's no bad report on the horizon. Anybody can praise him in those times, but there are times when the doctor says it's terminal. There are times when the enemy comes against you. There are times when the enemy comes against your children and you're faced with great stress and you don't know what to do. There are times when you're deceived and, and, and you don't know which way to turn. And there are times when you're in the wilderness and it's dark at night. But I've come to tell you, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Hallelujah. And what we have to learn to do is not complain about the way God is leading us and what God is doing, but learn how to look up to heaven and declare you are Lord hallelujah when the three Hebrew children Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were faced with the fiery furnace the king says we're going to play the music again and if you'll bow down your last transgression will be forgiven and everything can go back to normal they said oh king leave forever he says our God is well able to deliver us but if he don't we're still not going to bow our knee and we're still not going to worship a false idol we're going to worship God no matter the circumstances listen I I don't have the answer for everything that happens in our lives but here's one thing that I know this morning God is on the throne God is sovereign I'm his child everything's going to be all right it may not go the way I want it to go it may not turn out the way I thought it would turn out I might have some disappointments and some sorrows and some suffering along the way but count it all joy hallelujah when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience God is a good God and he wants to give you a spirit of thanksgiving in place of a spirit of complaint and murmuring. The second sin is simply this. This area of disobedience is the sin of carnality. Look at Numbers chapter 11 verses 4 through 6. You'll put it up there. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to the intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Will you give us meat to eat? 
Listen to what they said. We remember the fish we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up, and there's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Once God dealt with the complainers, the next devastating sin he deals with is carnality. And the problem is with this mixed multitude who live on the outskirts of the camp. Kelly Varner writes in his book, The Corporate Anointing, Then as now, there was a mixed multitude in the church. This term means gathered up together, a promiscuous assemblage of people. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 4, it says that this mixed multitude yielded to intense craving. Now listen to what it says in the King James Version. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. They fell a lusting. The children of Israel complained about the way God led them. Verse 4 continues, so the children of Israel again wept and said, who will give us meat to eat? We're just so tired of eating this manna. Listen, they're tired of what God is providing in their life. So verse 4 says they wept again. Now why are they weeping? They don't like their state in life. God had led them into the wilderness. God often leads us into wilderness settings. Why does God lead us into wilderness settings? Well, there are five lessons. Let me give them to you real quick. Number one, the wilderness is uncharted territory. You're charting out new territory for somebody else to follow you. You're going into places you've never been before. Listen, when God calls you to invade new territory, there's an enemy in that territory that's been entrenched in that territory for decades and for generations. And that enemy's not going to look up and say, well, here comes brother somebody and he's anointed, so I just better flee out of this territory. He's going to rise up in that territory and say, you can't have this territory. This territory belongs to me. I have a legal right to be in this territory. But if you're called to that territory, you have a legal right to be there and you have the authority of God in the name of Jesus that you can use in that territory and you can speak the word of the Lord in that territory and you can evict the enemy out of that territory. But know this, you will never move into territories for the kingdom of God without a fight and without a battle. But we don't fight with carnal weapons. We don't fight with our fists. We don't fight with guns and knives. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Hallelujah. We pull down the strongholds. We dispossess the enemy we do it in the name of Jesus through the word of God they overcame in Revelation 12 11 by the word of their testimony hallelujah and the blood of the lamb that's how we overcome him secondly it's a place of transition I don't like that word that's not a good word you know why because in transition God's asking you to let go of what's familiar God's asking you to let go of what's comfortable God's asking you to let go of what you know and he's telling you to turn something that's uncomfortable something that you don't know, and he's not showing you where it is. He's just telling you, you got to make the turn to go there. And you're saying, Lord, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Can you just give me a glimpse? He told Abraham, he said, I'll show you as you get on the way. Leave your father's house. And it wasn't until Abraham got on the journey that God said, now I'm going to show you the way to go. Listen to me. Transition's a hard place. Third, it's a place where things die. Listen, things don't live long in the wilderness. You don't plant gardens in the wilderness. Unless you're Israel and it blooms like a rose, amen. Or fourth, it's a place of humility. Because we have to learn to truly trust God. And fifth, it's a place where we have to have a release of his word. Now, why is that important? The Bible said he sent his word and healed them. Everything God does, he does according to his word. God doesn't give you the word and do something totally opposite of the word. God moves according to his word. You need a release of God's word. Those are the lessons we learn in the wilderness. You see, 
God places us in a wilderness in order to burn away our carnality and to show us what is really in our hearts. And many times, we, what we think is the devil can very well be God putting us in the wilderness to do a work in our lives. Look at Matthew 4.1. Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This mixed multitude got tired of manna. They long for the delicate herbs and the spices of their former bondage. Carnal people cannot let go of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, all that is in the world. See, manna is a type of the Word of God. Carnal people easily tire of good, sound, biblical preaching and teaching and begin to desire or lust for their past life. I've heard statements like this over the years. I was better off before I came to Christ. How could you be better off abiding in spiritual death? How could you be better off on your way to hell? How could you be better off in a lost condition? I'm going to tell you something. You're better off with Jesus if you don't have one penny to your name and you don't know where your next meal is going to come from than to have all the riches on this earth and be lost and not know him. Come on, somebody, and shout amen. See, why do people develop this attitude when we have to endure testing in the wilderness? I used to teach in Bible college, and when it came time for the final exam, they'd always get, everybody get panicked. Pastor, 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 what are we going to do? I said, I'm going to give you a study guide. And if you study the study guide... You can pass the test, but you've got to study the study guide. Now, a lot of testing is not easy. We panic when there's a test. You see, if you're in a difficult time of testing this morning, I want you to allow God to do the greater work in your life. And remember, God retires total commitment. He does not share his glory with others. God doesn't say, give me 50%. God says, I want you all. The church in Corinth had a problem with carnality. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but to carnal, as to babes in Christ. To be carnal means to never grow in maturity, to remain in a place of spiritual infancy. Cardinality always brings division, contentions, and strife. And the Bible says that strife is a door that opens doors for every evil work. In verse 3, he says this. He says, for you are still carnal, for there's envy, strife, and divisions among you. What was the result of Israel's sin? God sent them quail to eat until it ran out of their noses and their ears. God says, you want meat? I'm going to give you what you desire. And they ate it until they became sick. I went out this morning to feed my two puppies, and they had killed a rabbit. And uh, one was guarding it, and they'll chase it around. They'll chase it around with that nasty rabbit two or three days. Uh, I don't know what's... Get, they get well fed. I don't know why they have to do that. They're usually lazy and don't do much. But for some reason, last night, they killed a rabbit. And I thought, why are you doing that? You don't have to kill that. I guess it's in their nature to do that. It's being a dog. That's what you do. You chase cats, kill rabbits, squirrels, and whatever else gets in the yard. They're going to eat that rabbit until they're sick of it. God sent quail, and they ate the quail until it ran out of their noses and their ears. The number is 1133. But while the meat was still between their teeth before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. So he called the name of that place Kibroth Hatava. Because there they buried the people who had yielded to craving. Be careful what you desire. Be careful not to allow the cravings of the flesh to overwhelm you. Put your flesh to death in Jesus' name and live according to the things of the Spirit and not the things of the flesh. We must pray today and ask the Lord to purge us of our carnal cravings. If we're in a time of transition and testing, we must resist the idea of going back to the self-serving life we lived before we gave our hearts to Christ. When you first come to Christ and discover his love, you're overwhelmed by his grace. As you grow in grace, you'll find it exciting, but be warned that times of testing will come. 
And we have to learn to submit to him and allow him to deal with our carnal, sinful nature. All of us have one. All of us battle the flesh. All of us battle that part of us, that unregenerated part of us that we inherited from Adam. How do we overcome carnality? We die to ourselves and we allow God to do the greater work of purging in our lives. I got two scriptures and I'm finished. John 15, 1 and 2 says this. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. If you serve God long enough, he's going to cut away some dead branches. He's going to cut away some things that need to be cut away. We're being formed into his image. My question is simply this. Do you desire a greater anointing today? then we must allow him to take away every branch that is not bearing fruit. Spirit-filled people will manifest the fruit of the Spirit. It's on the screen. Galatians 5:22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. We live in a day of accusation. We live in a day of great division. And now we've started a new election cycle leading up to 2020. You think the last election was nasty. Just hold on and buckle your seatbelts. This one's going to get nasty. But be careful that you don't get caught up in that accusation. Be careful that you don't get caught up in name calling. And be careful that you don't get caught up in the division of our day and allow that to affect you. Sometimes we need to turn off the arguing on TV. Sometimes we need to turn off the arguing on the radio. Sometimes we need to listen to something wholesome and godly and uplifting and be encouraged in our spirits. And what we have to do is we have to allow the Holy Spirit to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then it says this, against such there's no law. Think about if that manifested in our lives and in the lives of our people. What a world we would live in. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And I think the fruit of the Spirit may be more powerful as a witness to others than the gifts of the Spirit. Because people see the character of Christ lived out in our lives. Do we fall short? Most likely we do. But is there grace available? Absolutely. And I want to encourage you today, don't fall into complaining. Don't fall into murmuring. Don't fall into criticism. Don't fall into carnality. But fall in an old-fashioned altar and ask God to purge you and cleanse you and wash you so that you can put him first and foremost in your lives.